Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I am your host. And on today's episode, Alish Zavaral is joining me all the way from the Czech Republic. He just won the third edition of the Bike Nonstop U.S. race that just took place last month. He finished in 18 days, 11 hours, and 50 minutes. This year, there were 12 participants. Nine of them were men and three of them were women. And I have to be honest, Bike Nonstop US is a race in America that I had never even heard of until Amanda tagged me on Instagram and told me I I should interview Alish. And I wanted to interview Alish, and I also wanted to find out about Bike Nonstop US. So it turns out that... This race is done by the same race organizers that do the Trans-America race. A lot of us are going to be familiar with that. And this route is very similar in that it traverses the United States from west to east. However, it maximizes the use of rails to trails, gravel roads, B roads, and avoids major highways and major roads at all costs. Essentially, this is billed as a safer Trans-America bike race. And honestly, after this interview and talking to Alish, I became very interested in doing this ride myself one day. It sounds absolutely amazing. And I appreciate Alish coming on the podcast to tell us all about it and his race this year. But before we get to today's episode, let us take a moment to thank the people that made it possible, starting with our latest patrons. So this week, we would like to thank Thomas Sabretsky and Michael Young. Thank you all so much for becoming sustaining members of the podcast. And if you would like to help support future episodes, you can find out how over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And now a word from our sponsors. Everybody, welcome back to the show, Eric from Embark Maple. Last time Eric was here, we talked about Embark Maple and introduced you to himself and his company and his product. And today, Eric, I really wanted to take a deeper dive into your product. I mean, you guys are only selling one thing. You sell Embark Maple Energy, and that's it, which is great. You're the specialist. So what can you tell us about this product? Yeah, we, we've definitely, we've crested some pretty big climbs since we last talked and we finally have our rugged packs available. And we set out with Embark to solve a lot of the common pain points I was experiencing in bike packing and kind of type B adventures with tear-off gels. You know, one that they didn't really taste good, were hard to digest. I could really only take them as a shot with a lot of water the packs are too small. And once they were open, they always seem to make a sticky mess in my pocket. And so with Embark, we chose a rugged three ounce pouch, equivalent in nutritional density to three uh, commercial tear-off gels. You can recap it for multiple uses. So you can always have the right amount. And then there's no sticky mess when you're done. And this helps keep trash off the trail since a clean pack seems to be easier to keep in your pocket than a sticky one. The other nice thing about uh, Embark Maple Energy is that you can use it different ways on your adventures. You can take it straight, just like you would a commercial gel, 
There's 320 calories and 80 grams of carbs in the whole pack. Perfect for really long form events where you only want to stop. Um, I personally like stopping once an hour. You can mix it in a water bottle for a hydration aid. I usually do a half pack in a water bottle uh, for an isotonic concentration. That's a 6% carbs. And that's ideal for hydrating on really long rides. My favorite here is the elderberry, uh, the tannins balance, the sweetness, and just mixes really well in in water. It's something I can drink all day long, and uh, I'm always looking forward to the next sip. Then also in rejuvenating, I just kind of camp cocktails, camp cooking. In the morning, I'll have the maple in my coffee and my oatmeal. Sometimes I'll make energy bars with uh, ingredients I can find at resupply stations along the trail but then also uh, cocktails in the evening. And we're putting together a little uh, Maple Energy Trail cookbook to help people with more ideas as well. Man, that's awesome. Y'all have thought of everything, uh, but dear listeners, here's what you need to know about Eric. Eric is a bikepacker. He's an adventurer. He's a cyclist. And so... Everything that he's telling you about this product is coming from his own experiences riding bikes, being in the outdoors, and knowing what not only our body needs, but what kind of packaging do we need and what kind of uses do we have for Embark Maple. So this is a multi-use product, and that is so important when we're bikepacking. So if you'd like to try Embark Maple, they are now packaged with their new rugged packs. They're available for sale at EmbarkMaple.com, and they are offering you, the listener, 30% off your first order all you got to do is enter the code BIKESORDEATH30 at checkout. There are no spaces in that. So go to EmbarkMaple.com, pick up some Embark Maple for yourself, and use code BIKESORDEATH30 at checkout to get 30% off. Thanks for coming on the episode today, Eric. It's always nice chatting. Today on the podcast, welcome back, Tori from Mulberry Gap. Tori, I don't know about y'all, but it is absolutely miserably hot in Texas. And the only thing I can think about right now is fall. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much for having me on because it's a brief break from being outside in my garden. It is unbelievably toasty warm here. uh, And we are also ready for fall. We are ready for people to come see us. At Mulberry Gap, it's really the best time of the year. And, you know, we love summer and, you know, we're not, we're not ready to call it quits yet, but we are ready for folks to start making plans to come check us out. Like right now, we've got these long, hot, humid evenings, and there's something to be said for that. Like it makes the beer taste really good. But, you know, once we hit, you know, about six weeks from now, then we start getting the beautiful warm days, those cool, crisp nights, and everything just becomes perfect. You got the beer in your hand <laughs> yeah, around the campfire. You've got the wine in your hand and the hot tubs at night. Uh, right now, our poor hot tubs are just uh, entirely void of humanity. Uh, people are giving them reasonable distance at the moment. <laughs> Tori, you're making me forget about the Texas heat a little bit and realize that fall is really just around the corner. I'm looking forward to it. I couldn't imagine anywhere better to be than Mulberry Gap. Where can people go to find out information and start to plan their getaway for this fall? Definitely. If people are ready to feel the like wind on their face as they zip down the trails, see the leaves turning, drink the ciders, eat the fried apple pies, the best place to head is to mulberrygap.com. Oh man, I am going to go there right now. Sounds amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Tori, and I will see you this fall. Awesome sauce. We hope to see everybody. All right, bye-bye. 
All right, let us get into today's episode. Again, Alish Zavaral is joining me all the way from the Czech Republic. Uh, when we hopped on, it was 10 p.m. his time. He picked the time. He said that was a good time to chat for him. So that just goes to show he is a true endurance athlete. The clock doesn't matter. He can go and go and go. And away we went. So let's get into today's episode. But first, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Howdy. Where where are you there, buddy? Are you like in a, uh, a closet? I'm in my, <laughs> uh, I'm in my flat. It's uh, actually attic flat, so that's why you see the timbers here, etc. <laughs> okay. Okay. In my, in my house, you know. Uh well, have you been on a have you ever done a podcast before? Do you have any uh yeah, any... I did. I did actually yesterday. I did a podcast with the Czech Broadcast Network Radio, and uh, I did several podcasts. Uh, mainly when I finished my uh, so far biggest race, I mean uh, before uh, Bike Nonstop US, which was the North Cape Four Thousand, where I finished second. So it was quite success. So I I were in few podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Any American podcast? No, no, no. Because uh, it was my first time in America. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I've never been in America before. So no podcast here. <laughs> there. Good. Well, you're a, you're a pro then. So I, I know I, it's like, is it 10 o'clock where you are? 10 o'clock yes. at night? Yeah. <laughs> I told you I'm a kind of night animal so it's okay for me <laughs> yeah that's funny what time do you need to uh, go to bed do you have like a normal job where you have to get up in the morning or what yeah i have a normal job but i'm working uh at home mainly right now because of they changed our contract due to covid so uh before covid we had to be at the office every day and we had just three uh days a month uh, for a home office but after COVID, then they change our contract, and now we have to be at least fifty percent of our working time. Uh, we have to work uh, at home. Don't mind me saying this, I hope, but it, that's so dumb. Like they <laughs> they should either have you work in the office or work at home, right? Yeah. So I mean, uh, I can be at home. Uh, I can work from home, like uh, at least fifty five percent, but I can do also one hundred percent from home but i don't like it actually i prefer to be at the office yeah you like the interaction with people yeah exactly you know i mean at the beginning i liked it but uh, then i realized that it's not so actually good i prefer to be at the office to have some interaction with my colleagues etc and everything is easier and faster you know yeah well then that works out really well for you because you like the the mix of like 
it sounds like being at home for a little bit and being at the office for a little bit, it's like kind of a nice blend. Yeah, yeah. I normally like uh, every Tuesday and Wednesday I'm at the office and every Monday, Thursday, Friday I'm at home. I'm always uh I'm always curious what people do for a living especially when you can take off work for, you know, 3 or 4 weeks and and do a bike race. <laughs> well, uh I'm working in a uh I'm working in a company that imports uh French cars and some German cars and uh we will also import some Italian cars to Czech Republic. So uh, I don't know if you know Peugeot as a brand, as a car yeah. brand. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Peugeot, Citroën, Opel, and DS. And so we are like a, uh, uh, the importer of these brands to Czech Republic. And I'm working in the marketing department of this uh, company. And uh, so and I'm working in a digital department of marketing department. So I'm in my responsibility are websites, social networks, uh, mobile application, customer relationship, uh, uh, management databases, etc. And uh, the thing is uh, that I've been working there for 18 years already. So I have really good relationship with my employee. Uh, so uh, uh, we made a deal that I could I can take uh, for my races, I can take like unpaid uh, days off. So I took uh, one month off unpaid uh, from the work to be able to raise the, the, the race in the States. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, that's uh, cool that your company works with you and also, you know, that you're prioritizing you know, it's like you work, you make the money, you're, you're taking a sacrifice. I mean, it's a financial loss. It's a time, it's a money commitment, but obviously you're prioritizing what's important to you, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like that always because before it was like, I had to take my days off, you know? So we have like here in Czech Republic, it's normal that you have like four weeks uh, holidays, like four weeks of day, days off. In our company, we have five. So, and when I wanted to go for a race that take uh, three weeks, then it was quite difficult with my girlfriend, obviously, because I took most of the uh, holiday for, you know, for my races, <laughs> which was not so good. So then I tried to negotiate some better conditions for me in my, in my work. And we, we agreed on this, uh, that I'm able to take uh, unpaid days off for my races, which is great. So you you have like five weeks of holiday plus you can take off more time to go race unpaid. Yes, exactly. Wow, man, that's amazing. You know, in America, what you're saying is completely yeah, I know opposite of of anything yeah. we do. Yeah, yeah, I like your way a lot better. Yeah, this is yeah, this is just really perfect. But uh, uh, it's I would say it's kind of rare you know i think i get this opportunity just because i've been working for this company 18 years and they know me and they need me they are satisfied uh, with me so which which uh, made everything much easier to negotiate you know yeah no it, it helps if you're valued and needed <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, man it's uh that's cool i love it good job i love uh i mean it's something i've been really intentional about 
um, especially, especially as I've gotten older is really prioritizing the things that make me happy, the things that bring me value, the things that are sustainable, that sustain me, that stick with me and working a nine to five and, you know, making money and buying a big house or a fancy car isn't, isn't the thing that's going to really bring value to your life on a large scale for, and, and be like, um, meaningful, you know? Yes. It's exactly, I have the same opinion, you know. I mean, uh, uh, I have to invest a lot of my money in these races and uh, in this, uh, you know, to be able to do these races. And I could uh, maybe buy some nice car or, you know, I don't know, some house or whatever. But uh, uh, I'm not that kind, you know. Uh, I'm, I rather invest into, you know, these kind of experiences, adventure and memories which will make me happy and which nobody will able to take, take, uh, you know, so it will be always in my head and nobody's, uh, nobody, I, I will never get, uh, uh, how to say, uh, it will be still in my head. Nobody's able to take it out. So yeah, no, no one can take it out of your bank account. Yeah, exactly. So it's for forever, you know, but if you buy, if you buy a new car, in three years, it's all car. In five years, you have to get rid of it. So this is not the way I live. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you, man. I, I like to, uh, yeah, prioritize the things, again, that bring the most value. And they're they're not material things, you know. They're the things that really stick with you. Um, you, you talked about, you know, the financial aspect of racing. And we're going to talk about how much racing you've done here in a minute. Do you, do you have any, uh, support from sponsors or anything, or are you completely, um, supporting yourself? Uh, I have few sponsors, but only like, uh, with material. I mean, uh, I have a sponsors who provide me with, for instance, helmet and glasses, right. Uh, with, uh, lights, for instance, I'm using the Phoenix lights and there is a distributor in Czech Republic who who provide me with these lights etc which phoenix lights are you lights are you using on your bike and your helmet um i just actually just bought some phoenix lights i paid for them they not sponsored uh but yeah i i just uh i just bought some actually let me go grab it real quick i want to see which one it is okay it's the bc 30 c yeah i have this one as well this one is great for mountain bike race my thing, mountain bike races, because this one has a remote controller, which I love a lot. Yeah. Are you using the same one on your handlebar and your helmet? No, not this one for the helmet. It's too heavy. Yeah, that's what I for, think, too. I got a, uh, a pencil light uh, for my helmet. Yeah, but this one is great uh, for like a hard gravel uh, rides or races or mountain bike races because uh, you have the remote controller which can you, you which you can place just on uh, your grip and then you are able to switch uh, modes just from your grip and you don't need to you know searching for for the for the button on the on the light which is great i yeah i love that i um i didn't even know that it had that feature when i bought the light i was just kind of going off the reviews and you know battery hours and I don't even know what an MAH is, but whatever those things are, uh, milliamps per hour or whatever. This light, it's my favorite, actually. It's my favorite. But for, yeah. for the race in States, I use uh, the brand new model, which is a BC26R, 
which has a bigger bigger accumulator, 5,000 milliamperes uh, hours. And uh, I like I like this one as well. It has also wider, you know, how to say wider beam. Yeah, yeah, wider beam. Yeah, that's it. But it doesn't have the remote control. So that's what I said to the distributor in Czech Republic that they should uh, push Phoenix to to make this light also with the remote controller because this new light is lighter than the one you have. So this one you can place also on your helmet and you know control it uh, by the remote controller on your grip, which is great. But yeah, I, I had wished this one was lighter because it would be nice to use on the helmet with the remote control and have that feature for the helmet. So I agree with you. Now, obviously, you're going to be a little biased, and I. Um, but I'm curious, have you used Dynamo hubs? And and you know, it's. Uh, I think we're seeing more and more people switching to. I I have. I'm I'm switching from a Dynamo, um, and you know, the dynamo light and, and the whole system, I have it on all my bikes, but that was one of the problems for me was like the cost of building all these different wheels with all the different hubs. And this is something I can take and put on all three of my bikes and it just clips on. Did you have experience with dynamos and, and yeah. beforehand? I'm, yeah, I'm using dynamos, but I have never used the uh, dynamo powered lights. I always use accumulation uh, lights with accumulator like this one from Phoenix. So I never run dynamo light. I always have uh, accumulator uh, lights. Okay, so that's an interesting setup. So then you're just using your dynamo as a way to um, keep your cache battery charged. Yes. So from the dynamo, I charge the accumulators for for lights, and also mobile. Uh, I mean, cell phone and navigation, etc. So that's it, and it works quite well. So during the night, uh, I'm usually charging, you know, like a, a computer and the cell phone, and during day, I'm charging the batteries for the lights. Okay, and are you when you say charging, you're charging it only by the dynamo? Are you ever plugging it in at night in like a hotel? When I'm in the hotel, of course, I'm. I have also like small charger because it's faster. Uh, but I'm. In this race, I was like uh, able to charge almost everything from the Dynamo, except uh, you know I had. Uh, I, I I didn't have any mechanical during this race, but uh, uh, once uh, I stopped in the McDonald's and I wanted to lock my bike to do something, there was nothing actually. So <laughs> I have like a like a wire locker. So I lock the bike just uh, on the front wheel and fork. And then when I when I came back from the McDonald's, I forgot it that I locked it, and I started to pedal with the lock in, you know, and, and the locker break the dynamo hub. It breaks the connector, you know. It's actually, you know, just break it so the connector wasn't there. <laughs> so it was, like, uh, it was a really big problem. But uh, then I uh, then I was uh, then I rode around the UPS uh, garage where. There were a few guys who were just cleaning UPC cars, and I saw that there is a workshop behind. So I just went there, asked them if I can, if I could use their workshop there and repair my Dynamo hub. We did it. They helped me with it, and we we like fixed it within 20 minutes. I was able to go 
go and charge my my stuff again so which was great but uh, it, when it happened i was like oh damn this will really uh, you know break my race because uh, then i had the like a uh, power bank as well but you know to charge the power bank in the hotels you have to stop at least for five hours or something you know but i was like oh damn and then we fix it within 20 minutes which was great <laughs> yeah that's awesome well i I want to uh, go back a little bit um, and get a little bit of your cycling history. Um, if my math is correct, and I will say that um, you have an excellent blog uh, website. We'll we'll uh, link to it in the show notes so that if anybody, uh, I said you've had a long career in in racing. Uh, if my math is correct, you started around um, the age of thirty in two thousand nine. Since then, you've done one hundred and thirty six races. There's been, you've done like running, adventure racing, triathlons, ultra endurance racing, mountain bike, you know, it's like, it's run the gamut. Um, and so I, I don't know how to like summarize all that, but I, I'm wondering like what around the age of 30 happened? Did you just start racing where you are always athletic or was that like a major kind of shift? It's actually good questions, you know, uh, I was like very sporty till my 19. I was like a runner. I was uh, in a primary school. I was like competitive rower. And then uh, when I was 18, I stopped with all sports. I did nothing because uh, I went to music. I played drums in, uh, in some metal bands. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it till my... I would say 26 or 27. Then I lived one year in Ireland. And when I came back from Ireland, uh, I find a new job. And uh, the job was kind of stressful for me. And I got uh, the high blood pressure disease. So I, I had really high blood pressure, you know, and uh, once... Uh, I, I I was taking pills every day to have a to lower my blood pressure, but uh, it was kind of you know strange because I'm tall, slim, so I supposed to have a low blood pressure, but I have a high blood pressure. And when once I went to a optometrist because I wanted to use a contact lenses, and the optometrist you know asked me if I had uh, some healthy troubles, and I told him no. I'm fine, except high blood pressure. And he said, why you have a high blood pressure? I said, uh, because uh, I have right now I have a stressful job for me. And it's just because of stress in work. And uh, he asked me what I'm doing to, 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 to cure this. And I said, uh, I'm taking just pills, you know, or tablets. And he said, try to sport, you know, try to do some endurance sport. Because if you, if you will train I, I don't know running uh, cycling or whatever your 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 heart rate will go lower your blood pressure will go lower and then you will you can get rid of uh, the pills and tablets so and at this time i was about 30 and i have uh, actually nothing to do just except the work so for me it was kind of a good idea to start uh, to do some sport again and uh, as my my schoolmates from university were doing uh, triathlon, 
so I just joined them actually, or they offered offer me to join them. So I started with triathlon actually. So uh, and for me it was like uh, I started with running, with a little bit with swimming, a little bit with cycling, and in uh, in uh, I don't know four, three or four months I was able to run a first uh, half marathon. Then I tried first uh, first half Ironman and this and this. So everything went very quickly because I always wanted to do like longer distances, longer races, etc. Uh, so that's that was it. So it was just because of the high blood pressure. So um, how how did getting in shape and and getting athletic? Uh, impact your blood pressure is it still something you struggle with or you got off the pills no at all after one year or maybe less than one year i was i I had actually low blood pressure because of because of my training so i get really rid of uh, all these troubles and right now until now i have still low blood pressure so um (laughs) so everything it helps me a lot and it really changed my life in this way so yeah. now, now I'm healthy. I don't have any any trouble at all with my. I have, so it's it's perfect. And uh, did you change your diet at all, or did you do it all through exercise? Just through exercise, yeah. I didn't change my diet just through exercise, but I was like exercising a lot. You know, it's uh, it's always uh, you know I'm I'm I was born in a sign of ram. So uh, when you are REM and when you take something in your mind or in your head, so you get straight to get it, you know. So I was like, okay, I would like to be healthy. I don't want to take these tablets anymore. And I would like to be also good in triathlon. So I went like my mind and that was the direction I went for. And I was training a lot. So the, the, the effect on, on my health was like very fast because the training was so hard and uh, the body just uh, uh, how to say uh, adapt adapted to to these changes and uh, I and, and the high blood pressure was gone. It was, what about your stress and everything from your your job? Did it help eliminate that and give you like an outlet for that? Yes, it helps with the stress in the work as well because what I say is that I'm too tired to be stressed by work now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it was really before i was stressful about any small trouble in the works or big trouble and uh, now it's like you know i always said i'm too tired to be stressed by work you know it's, it's not and everything works much better right now what about even the perspective of does doing like ultra hard things like uh you know, this hard race help put into perspective, like your job, like your job, isn't that hard. Ultra racing is hard. Pushing your body for 18 days is hard. I was wondering if that was one of the factors that kind of like help resolve your stress towards your work. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's always like this when I have something difficult, uh, in my work, I always remind myself you went through harder things, much harder things during your races. And it helps me a lot to go through these difficulties in a job, for instance. And in it's not only about job, it's about any difficulties I, I'm, I'm facing in my life. I always said, like, uh, you know, you went through much harder things. 
during this race or this race and it's just in my mind so everything is much easier right now i i wasn't that uh that strong in my mind uh before i started with my with, with this endurance races definitely it helps me a lot yeah that's what that's what I've, I've found in a lot of people is that really that mental toughness and that perspective that you get from doing hard things it helps put other areas in your life uh in order in a way so what got you from you know doing triathlons into I mean, I know you've done Italy Divide, you've done Atlas, you've done now uh, Bike Nonstop, and these are like, you know, ultra-endurance cycling. Like, what was that progression like? It was like, uh, as I said, I started with with, uh, triathlons, and uh, I trained from like a sprint sprint triathlon to half Ironmans. I did also Ironmans twice, and... uh, it was after after a while I realized that actually triathlon is not what I was looking for. I would say I found it uh, after three years. I had been doing it. I found it uh, a little bit boring. I would say it was just you know it was you always try to beat your personal best, you know, and there is, there was nothing else for me. And I was like searching for something more adventurous because I had always, uh, I always wanted to find something uh, where I can connect like my uh, love to nature, my love to uh, endurance, my love to uh, adventure. And I didn't find this in a triathlon because at the end it was always the same for me, you know, you just swim, then you just uh, you just uh, cycle, and you just run. And so I was like trying to ser- search for something else. And I read an article in some older magazine uh, about uh, race here in Krikonosche Mountains. There are some mountains which which are called uh, Krikonosche, and there is a ultra trail running race uh, for one hundred kilometers. And there was an article in this uh, magazine. So I read this article and in this article, the guy described his way through this uh, ultra trail running race. And he described that he was like very tired. He was vomiting. He got a lot of cramps and it took him 27 hours or something. And I was like, ah, this is something interesting for me. (laughs) So I, I, I was... I, I immediately, immediately after I read this article, I was like, I have to try this. I think this is what this will suit me much more than the triathlon. So I, within a week, I signed for my for my first uh, ultra trail running race, which was like for 60k, and it was really really difficult for me, and I was satisfied with this. How difficult it was actually. So I was I was not vomiting, but I got a lot of cramps. I got a lot of difficulties. I was really exhausted. And in the end, when I reached the finish line, I was like, okay, this is my sport. So I will do this. So I'd been doing uh, ultra trail running for almost, let's say, nine years or seven, eight years. And I was better and better and better. And I think I was in a peak in 2015, 2016. So I was also quite high in a, we have like a, like a, a series of ultra trail running races here in public. So 
in 2015, 2016, I was quite high, but uh, in one training in uh, 2016, I broke my uh, ankle while running uh, some descent. And I was unable to run for another four months. And I was like every day or all, every time when I have a check uh, with my doctor, uh, I ask him when I can start run again. And he said, it's too early, but you can try to cycle, you know, because your your, your foot will be in a pedal. So the, the, the ankle will be fixed. So try to cycle. And I said, okay, that's actually a good idea. So I took my old uh, triathlon bike. And uh, next week, uh, the, the employee said, uh, you have to take a week off, actually. So I said, okay. So I take my bike and cycle from my hometown to the Northern Sea in Germany. It was like 1,000 kilometers, and I did it uh, in less than three days. And I was like, wow, this is great. And so I wrote a blog about it. And people like it. And then one guy told me, you know what? There are some races, like, you know, bikepacking races. Because I was thinking to do some other trip next year, you know, to some... I was I wanted to go to another sea, for instance. And then this guy said, hey, there are some races there in bikepacking. I didn't know about that, actually. <laughs> and uh, he actually did one in Ireland, which is the Transatlantic Way bike race. And I said, "Wow, it's great because I lived one year in Ireland, and uh, I had, I didn't, I didn't have uh, a lot of opportunity to travel there. So I said it would be good to go back there and see the country again from from the saddle. So I signed immediately for this race, and I went to a Transatlantic Way bike race, and it actually changed my life because it, it was like a you know shift in my in my in my racing career." And I remember when I talked before this race in the race organizer, Adrian O'Sullivan, and he asked me whether I did such a race, I mean, bikepacking race. And I said no. And he said, so uh, it will change definitely your life. And I said, okay, we'll see. And after the race, I was totally sure that he had, he was actually right. It changed my life because I realized that bikepacking, it's, it's the right sport for me because it's a... Ultra trail running, it's fine, but it was just for a few days or maximum for a few days. I mean, the race. But here for 10 days or 18 days, which is great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great perspective. Much, much bigger fun. Yeah. So uh, I, I wonder how many, uh, as you were talking, I wonder how many um, cyclists we have that were former runners and are now cyclists through injury, you know, and their doctors, because I've heard people say this before, your doctor's like, have you tried riding a bike or going swimming, something yeah. less low impact, that kind of thing. Uh, I wonder how many people we have, huh? Yeah. It's maybe a kind of fate, you know, that, you know, it shifts your career and, yeah. uh, and, you still you still run it looks like i mean looking at your race history you're still doing race uh running races as well is there do you just like the uh, the the variety do you like the cross training are you more focused on one discipline well uh yes the thing is that i have never been like only runner or only cyclist i i prefer to do a lot of sports you know because i think if you do only one sport like running 
it leads to injury usually you know so i prefer to do i I'm, I'm like i'm training like still for the triathlon i would say you know so i still cycle i still swim i still run a lot and i think it's much better for your body if you do this kind of training and that's what i did and uh, so right now i'm more focusing for cycling of course but for instance now after the bike nonstop us uh, my my like cycling season is over i have no other race this year except some small local races here in czech republic but uh, i would like to try i would like to switch my discipline now and uh, run again and do some uh, ultra trail running uh, in the second half of this year definitely because i still love running and ultra trail running so uh, yeah so I'm just about to switch of switch to the running discipline right now. Yeah, you, I got to think that just having a, a body that is, um, you you know, you can do a lot of things. You can swim, you can run, you can bike. And, and having that variety makes you a stronger and more well-rounded, capable person. You know, I, I can't imagine it doesn't have impacts like that ripples into the cross disciplines that you're doing, you know. Yeah, it's, it's it's just great because uh, I I was like uh, I was also dreaming about to do some adventure races, and like three years ago, a friend of mine actually asked uh, me if uh, if I want to join his uh, team because they uh, they were searching for new guides to their team, and I said, oh yes, of course, I, I would love to do this sport. I would like to try. I would like to try uh, adventure racing. So I did the first race uh, three years ago, and now every year I'm doing it again and again and again. It's, it's just great. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I, I love sport, actually. So Yeah, yeah. I love it all, man. It's all good stuff. Do whatever gets you outside and move in your body and put a smile on your face, man. Whatever that is, go do that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, bike nonstop US. Um, I have to be honest, it was not a race that I'd ever heard of. I got to give a shout out to Amanda on Instagram who like made a comment and tagged me. It was like, Hey, you should, and Amanda makes, uh, you, you probably don't know this, but she makes, uh, some ceramic mugs for bikes or death, my company. And so I, I know Amanda through the internet a little bit. And so whenever she tags me, I'm like, okay, what does Amanda have to say? Um, she put you on my radar, but at the same time, uh, bike nonstop us, which I had never heard of. I've, I know now this is the third year, um, that they've done it, but you being in, in Czech Republic, how did you, how did this even like get on your radar? Yeah. Well, it was, it was easy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh in uh, 2018, I did the race uh, Norcap uh, 4000, which was uh, from Italy to the to Norway to Norcap, and uh, I finished second. And I just love how lo how long this race was. It was a 4350k, and I was sure that I'm able to do uh, longer races than this. I was sure that I will be able to 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 do like even better performance in longer races, you know. Because uh, for me, what is longer is better for me, you know. Because I'm not that fast, but I I, I last long. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, until you do it, it was a question mark, right? Until you just did 18 days, 
it, you, like you're saying, it's kind of even hard to find those longer events to even enter into that can yes, exactly. really start to push into two, three weeks. Yeah. And so after Northgate 4000, I was searching for longer races. Uh, in my radar, in my radar was uh, Northgate Tarifa, which uh, which is from the most uh, northern point to most southern point in uh, in the Europe. But uh, the problem there was that uh, I already was on, on North Cape uh, in Norway. So I wanted to see something different. I didn't want to make a race which is from one third the same as the race I already did. So then I was like thinking, what about America? So I searched for unsupported races in America. I mean, like uh, uh, races from coast to coast. And of course, I found the Trans-American bike race. So I was like, I was like almost about to register for this race or sign up for this race. But then uh, I listened to podcasts and read some, uh, read some blogs about this race and uh, realized that it's not so safe because there were also some, you know, uh, some um, I mean, rider crashes or riders were hit by car. Uh, I, I know that one even died and another was paralyzed in one season. And I was like, uh, no, this is not really what I would like to do because uh, I don't want to feel my, I don't want to be unsafe on the road. And so I was like, okay, so this is maybe not the one I would like to do. So I searched for another. And then I realized that the Nathan Jones, the organizer of a Trans-American Bike Race, he actually created an alternative race to Trans-American Bike Race. And he called, he named it uh, Bike Nonstop US. And he created this race to be like uh, more safe and uh, more nicer alternative to Trans-American Bike Race. Because this race, it's not only road, it's also on a gravel. So it's like a mixed terrain race. It's a little bit shorter than Trans-American bike race, but it's on mixed terrain, which uh, which I love this idea. I love this idea as well. And these were actually the main things that pushed me to sign for this race instead of Trans-American bike race. Yeah, that is one of the things that really stood out to me. Um, the Trans-American bike race is one that personally... I'm terrified of, you know, the idea of it. And, um, and so when I saw this one was, you know, quote unquote, a, a safer version utilizing mixed terrain that, that really appealed to me. And I would, I wanted to learn more about it. So, um, you're the first person I've talked to that's done it. Uh, it, did you, I mean, did you think it was safe? Um, oh, and I also was curious about what, did it use rails to trails too? Yes. 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 Yeah. Well. Maybe you give us like a general overview of like what Bike Nonstop US is. So Bike Nonstop, what is Bike Nonstop US? So it's uh, the length of Bike Nonstop US. It's uh, 5,700K. Uh, the total... 3,500 miles. Yeah, it's 300 something miles. <laughs> I don't know. The yeah, it's 3,500. Yeah, sorry, 3,500. And the total elevation is not that much. It's uh, only 31,000 uh, meters, so 31K uh, elevation. 
It's a mixed terrain. Uh, the organizers said that it's like a two-third are roads and one-third are gravel parts or sections. Uh, I think it was maybe a little bit more for gravel sections, but not half and half. The, most of it was definitely road, but uh, I think there were more uh, gravel sections than only one-third. Uh, however, at the beginning, first 2,000 kilometers through mountains in uh, Oregon, uh, Idaho, and Wyoming were only on roads. So I think in the first 2,000 kilometers, there were maximum one, there was maximum 1% of gravel. I was a little bit disappointed at the beginning that there are no gravel at all, but the gravel started as far as in Wyoming. And then there were, uh, there were a lot of gravel section, especially in Missouri, uh, Indiana, etc. There were these, you know, uh, trail trains, uh, uh, gravel sections, which were great. Yeah. yeah. Um, did I, does that race adhere to solo self-supported traditional like bikepacking rules? It's a traditional bikepacking race, carry all your own stuff. Yeah. The, the, the rules are the same as Trans-American Bike Race because it's from the same organizer. Yeah. And the race are identical so did you think it was did you feel safe that was one of my questions when you when you rode this route yes uh i i just loved it it was it was so you know the scenery i met there uh, uh or the scenery i rode through were so nice and i i have never felt unsafe actually on on on, on these roads because when he when when Nathan designed this road, he's he chose only you know small roads, gravel and uh, cycling pads. I mean like official cycling pads. I mean for instance through cities we usually pass cities on the cycling pads, which was great. Okay. So, so and in general, I can I can send that say that there were only one section. I think it was about. 30k which is 20 miles where uh this section wasn't you know so nice one it was uh, on a highway i think it was i don't remember the name of the states but i remember name of the cities it was from norfolk to fremont that's uh virginia yeah okay yeah in virginia and this part was not so nice and also not so safe but it was only 20 miles from 3,500 miles. So it was okay. So pretty damn good. I not, can't not imagine how, yeah, I can't imagine how long it took him to piece that all together. You know, I mean, if it's using bike paths and all the small roads and I, it's, I, I I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited by it, man. The idea of it. I, I wonder if that event, because we haven't mentioned this yet, but I think only 12 people registered and signed up for this this year's race. So like hardly anybody. Not a lot of people do Transamerica, but my feeling on that is partially that's due to safety issues and, and people's, you know, that's going to be a limiting factor for a lot of people. So I'm wondering if this route has the potential to see a lot more participation yeah. in the future. I would love to see much more rider on 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 this on this race because uh, really the race is beautiful the, the road is beautiful it's safe it's so funny it helps a lot because always when I was tired uh, about roads 
then there was a gravel section and when my when my ass was not so happy about gravel section <laughs> then there was a road section so it was great and uh, i loved the train trails i loved the mountains in f- first three countries and uh, yeah i mean really this this road is it's it's just great i mean it's great to hear the only problem I think and the reason why there weren't so many riders is that uh, it doesn't have a name which was caused by the pandemic you know because the first season was in 2019 and there were 19 riders and then there was a pandemic so in 2020 it was cancelled I actually signed for this race in 2020 so I supposed to to do, I supposed to do the second uh, season, but it was cancelled due to COVID. And then in 2021, it was uh, European where weren't able to travel to the States. So I That's couldn't. Right. Yeah. So this year was the first year where when I can do it. So, and I think the, the problem of this race is that uh, it doesn't have a name yet. So I hope we will help it. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, the idea of riding across America is very appealing. Um, you know, whether you're visiting the country and you want to experience America, you kind of want to see the whole thing, or even as an American, you want to, you know, you're like, yeah, I rode that motherfucker, you know, like, uh, but, you know, Transamerica doesn't do it for me um, for safety reasons. And so, like, this is something I'm kind of excited about, you know. Because there were also two guys from Czech Republic that that did the Trans-American bike race, I think three years ago before pandemic. And I asked one of them about the about the race, uh, about the about how it is with the safety, uh, whether the the road is nice, etc. And he said, he said actually, you know, it's a it's sometimes it's really dangerous because there are big traffic there there are big uh, trucks there you know nobody cares so much about cyclists on these bi- big uh, highways etc and i was like ah it's not for me so I, I was really i was really happy when i realized that nathan came with this uh, new new road and race and really uh, i immediately signed for this one and I'm so glad that I did it, actually. I'm glad you did, too. I'm glad we're talking about it. One thing that's interesting about Nathan, like, um, from a race promoter standpoint, I mean, there is very little information about... He, it looks like he does three different races. You can go online and look them up. But... Um, very little information. I mean, it's a route file. It's like the resources tab is a route file. No description, no nothing. So how did how did you prepare for this route um, from a from like a logistical standpoint? What was your strategy? You mean how to get to the race or how to no race? like uh, how to how like when you were at home preparing you know from a logistical standpoint for like resupply points where you're going to sleep where you're going to get water you know how did you do much planning or did you just carry a lot of shit on your bike like what was your approach to that? Uh, well, uh, my approach was the same as for any other races. I always prepare my cue sheets, so uh, I I upload the oh sorry I download the the GPX file and uh, with the right to with GPS uh, 
I I prepare my cue sheets and on these cue sheets I always put, you know, at least every let's say every 40k I try to put some resupplement point like uh, gas stations or uh, cities or whatever and also border so I always know what is ahead of me so where I will where I will find some uh, uh, resupplement places uh, cities uh, etc and uh, that's actually it that's actually it and uh, regarding to sleeping etc i took my uh, lightest uh, sleeping system i had which was enough for for this race except the first four days uh, in the mountains they were very cold so uh, and uh, i had uh, the, the the biggest problem for me was uh, like kind of sleeping strategy because uh, uh, when I did the North Cape 4000, I slept uh, three hours a day. And uh, when I arrived to the finish line, I was really, really destroyed. <laughs> so uh, I listened to a lot of podcasts about Trans-American Bike Race uh, uh, with riders who did it. And from this podcast, I learned that most of them slept uh, from four to five hours a day. So I decided to sleep five hours a day during uh, during this race. And uh, when I was in a race and I slept the five uh, five days a day, except the first day, except the first night. Uh, then after I think it was after six or seven days, I realized that five hours is actually too much for me because I was like too too fresh. <laughs> 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 so short it for four and it works uh it works the best so as i said like first six or seven days i slept five hours a day and then i slept only four hours a day and in the last night i slept only one hour to be able to finish in a daylight because when i counted uh i realized that i i would uh, finish uh about midnight and I wanted to finish in the daylight, so last night I slept only one hour, and I finished at uh, with sunset actually at nine uh, p.m. And why did you want to finish during the day? Because in uh, all previous races I finished always in the night, and I was kind of uh, disappointed that there was nobody, <laughs> etc. So I was like, uh, at least in New York, because the the, the finish line is great. It's uh, the Lincoln Memorial in Washington D.C which is a great place. I have never been there. I saw this place many times in movies, uh, in some documents, etc. And I was like, uh, I would like to finish in a daylight to be there, you know. So, and also it was first, it was last night and last night you have to push. You you have to use everything what remains, you know. Right, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. No, no need to uh, keep a reserve for the gas yeah. tank. Leave was it all out there. Uh, my my idea was actually to go nonstop the last night, but I was I was not able. I was too tired, so I slept one hour and then I continued. Yeah. So how was the finish line? Were there was there people there? Uh, there were a lot of people there, but nobody cares. <laughs> 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 well, I guess did anybody come to like cheer yeah, but, you on? Yeah, but I managed to uh, I managed to have some some. Uh, somebody to to be there 
to to welcome me there and i also uh they also provide me with the accommodation after the race etc so it was great oh wow so um what go, like going into uh this race what what was your goal were you trying to win we're just trying to do your best see how you could do for 18 days or you know what what was your goal yeah uh i had several goals actually because uh first i w- i wanted definitely to win it you know <laughs> <laughs> and when i realized that there are not so many riders i was actually afraid that there would be nobody to fight with you know mm-hmm. and i was so happy that when uh in a in a briefing before the before the the day before the start, uh, I found that there are actually two younger guys, and uh, just when we started uh, during the first day, I realized that uh, Jared, uh, what was his name, Jared Ksanovic, I think. Uh, yeah, Ksanovic. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was pretty fast he was he was maybe too fast that <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually uh, ended with his uh, scratch and i was really happy first uh, four days that there was somebody to fight with it really helps so and i i definitely won i definitely wanted to win this race and uh, it was great to fight with jared but uh when we were together, he told me that he rode actually Bike Nonstop US last year and he did it in 24 days. And he told me that he he did it like more like a bike touring. He said that he like 12 hours pedaled and 12 hours rested. And he said that this year he wanted to push hard. And uh, after first one or two days i realized that he's maybe pushing too hard and so then i started to be behind him so i let him go for let's say 10 or 30k in ahead of me and i didn't try to go uh, over him to pass him because i think it was it, he was pushing too hard from my point of view so i was behind him and so we met several times a day just we, we like cycled together for for a while and then he continued like with faster pace and i did not accept this pace and uh, i was like will he be able to keep this pace or not so i was like a little bit i think not because uh he he's he's a young guy he's 28 you know and i think he doesn't have so many experiences i have and uh it ended up like this after i think it was after fortnight uh he he just didn't start the day he, he slept in a, in some accommodation i saw on a tracker and he didn't start the day so i tried to send him a message through instagram and he answered that his knees are you know fucked up and his tendons are are painful etc and he's about to scratch and he scratched so then it was i think fourth or fifth day and since that i was the only one in the lead which was really difficult to keep pushing like this you know yeah you uh i swear you could like read my show notes uh because my next question was actually about 
what did you prefer? Because you you were in a, a pretty close neck and neck race for the first four days, yes. and then after that, you had just a huge lead. I was wondering which one you preferred. It sounded like you preferred having somebody to chase and yeah, probably keep you definitely. mentally occupied. Yeah. Definitely, I was like when I was alone. It was like, uh, should I push that hard or not? You know. Maybe I can more enjoy, you know, the the nature, etc. People, etc. But I love pushing, you know, and there was nobody to push against. So, and actually, before the race, when I realized that there are only eleven riders, uh, I was like, you know, it could happen that I will be alone in the front, and so I should, I should have some another like goal if it. If it happened, you know, so I check what is the what is the course record, and the course record from uh, 2019 was like a little bit more than 16 days. So it was my next goal. So my next goal was try to be the course record. And uh, so when I was alone in the front. So I said, okay, so let's push uh, to try to be the, the, the curse record. And uh, that was my, my goal for the first half. And then uh, when, I was, when I was in the half of the race, I was there in eight days and uh, 14 hours. And it was, so I had the hard, harder half behind. And in front of me, it was, according to a profile, the the easier half. So I, I was like, okay, it could happen that uh, I think I'll be able to to you know to cut this fourteen hours and finish it about sixteen days. But I really underestimated the second half. Really underestimated. The, the second half was actually much harder, much harder than the first half because of weather. Uh, which was very hot and because of which was almost all the time headwind so uh because when you when you when you see the profile of of this of this road the first half is very hilly and then it's actually flat or descending and then there is a the big savage mountain uh close to washington and that's it it's only one there is only one peak there so i was like Second half, it's you know, it's a easy peasy one. You know, it will be just it could be in a six day or seven days max. You know, yeah. But it's really, really big underestimation. Really. Yeah, you you neg my, uh, pegged my next question as well because I mean I put on my show notes that the elevation profile almost looks humorous. You know, it's like the first half is hard and the second half is like just a cakewalk. So well, like my imagination. When, <laughs> when you when you got smacked in the face essentially with with your new reality that the second half is going to be slower it's going to be harder than you thought was it hard mentally to like stay in it what did you do to keep yourself motivated to keep pushing uh the thing is that i enjoyed the fact to be in this kind of race stress you know i love this you know so i try to keep this race stress still ongoing so uh, i always when i for instance when i hit the gas station i run my stopwatch you know uh 
you know, to see how much time I'm spending on the gas station and try to minimize it, etc., etc. So I was like still doing the same what I would do if I had the other competitor close to me, you know. And this uh, this uh, helps me to to keep the 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 good pace, you know. But uh, as one once again second half was really difficult for me because i'm not used to such a hot weather because and and uh, like pedaling whole day against wind against the headwind it it was just awful it was really awful <laughs> so i was like unable to move in the in the, during the noon and after it was really difficult even to to move so i was like I was like able to pedal for one hour and then I was maybe 20 minutes close somewhere in a gas station because there was an aircon there, you know. So because I had to cool, my, cool myself down at least for 10 or 20 minutes to be able to continue for another hour. It was dead hot for me, really. So <laughs> then uh, when I calculated, uh, I realized that I, I won't be able to beat the curse record just because of this, because I wasn't able to pedal during the day, and I was also thinking to switch the switch the tactic to pedal during the night and sleep during the day. But the problem is that I have uh, difficulties to sleep during a day. You know, I need a really dark surrounding. You know, no light at all to be able to even when I'm tired. So I tried it in a, in a race I did in. 2019, uh, which was from Vienna to Barcelona in Europe, and I tried to actually switch from the day day cycling to night cycling, and it doesn't work for me. I was even more tired and inefficient. So during this race, during Bike Nonstop US, I was thinking about this switch, but then uh, I remember how I felt during the three peak bike race uh, from Vienna to Barcelona. And I said, no, 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 let's continue this way and it will work better for you. Because it was like every day, it was like from, I started, usually I started about 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. And until 10, 10 a.m., it was it was okay. And then uh, from 10 a.m., it started to be very hot. It started to be very windy, always had wind. And it was like that until 7 but then from 7 p.m., it was again good, you know. So I didn't want to go to bed at 7 when the conditions were again good to ride. So, you know, so I just kept riding till, let's say, 10 or 11. And then I went to, then I then I sleep for, for these four hours. Did you go back to 2019 and look at their weather to see, like, how hot it was or even... Uh, no, no, I don't. I had no I'm, idea. I'm curious. Yeah, anyway, I was just wondering. No, I, what about um, at the beginning of the race, those first four days, it, it felt like, or whenever we were talking about it, that you were kind of gauging your race pace a little bit off of what um, Jared, uh, Jared was doing and kind of, like, staying behind him a little bit. Did... Do you think that you could have pushed a little bit harder in the beginning? And do you think that, you know, the course record could have been out there at all or? Yes, I think I should, I should, I should, I think I had bad mindset about the, as I said, about the second half. So I should set my mindset that the, that the first half would be actually easier for me because I love climbing. I love mountains. So 
next time I would switch my mind and said to myself that, that, that the second half would be uh, more difficult and the first half will be easier. And I would try to push much more in the first half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you never know. And this was also your first time to do a, you know, a over two week race. So it's hard to know how much you're going to have at the end, I would think, you know, and managing your body and everything that whole time. But I have to say that I arrived in quite good shape. When I compare my status uh, when I finished North Cape 4000 and when I finished Bike Nonstop US, when I finished uh, North Cape 4000, I was, as I said, I was destroyed. I was like really, really tired. I had a hallucination last uh, like 50K. It was really hard one. But uh, in opposite, when I finished Bike Nonstop US, the only problem the last day was that I slept only one hour. So I was like sleepy, but still, you know, still I hadn't, I had no problem at all. You know, I was just tired. I was just sleepy, but uh, I had no cell sores. I had no pain anywhere. I didn't have problem with any tandem or whatever. I felt great. That's awesome. So how do you feel about that? Do you feel great that you felt great? Or do you feel like, oh, darn, I should have pushed it harder. So I feel, you know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if there would be another, if there were another riders with me in the front, I would push definitely harder. Yeah. And there were, there were, I mean, I had the ability to push harder definitely i think i would be able to do it at least for one day faster if there would be someone to if there was someone uh, to fight with you know yeah yeah well hopefully uh hopefully next year there'll be uh more people that sign up do you uh do you see yourself coming back to this event and doing it i mean obviously it's a huge financial and time commitment aside from Aside from just choosing to do it, there's a lot of extenuating reasons that makes it challenging. I will, I will be back. Uh, I will be definitely back in states, not next year, but uh, in two years. But it won't be for bike nonstop US, but it will be for the tour divide. Oh, nice! <laughs> I would love to do tour divide. So I cross the states from the from the west to east. And in two years, I would like to cross the states from the south uh, to to uh, sorry from the north to south. Yeah, that's wonderful. I was wondering if you would if you would tackle the tour divide from a from a cycling standpoint. Um, the bike nonstop being you know uh, you were on a gravel bike, right? Essentially, you were riding a gravel bike. Um, which which discipline of cycling do you prefer, like the more mountain biking, Tour Divide style? Do you prefer more of the bike non-stop US? Or? Uh, I think better fits me or suits me uh, races like this, this one, like the bike non-stop US, like more roads, a uh, little bit gravel. Because uh, regarding to mountain bike races i think i'm still not that good in uh, technical sections which slows me down and uh, but uh, i'm getting better i would say so i hope uh, in two years i'll be i'll be fine so i did uh, in 2020 i did the first season of uh, of uh, atlas mountain race 
where I finished 13th from 200s or how many riders there were were there. So uh, I think uh, because uh, I'm going to race uh, Atlas Mountain race next year again, I signed uh, for the second season, but it was uh, due to pandemic. It was postponed, postponed, postponed. It will be this October, but I'm busy in October, so I uh, I ask uh, I ask uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, I forgot the name of the organizer. How could I? Uh, Liam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Liam? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I ask him to 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 postpone my uh, registration for the f- uh, February twenty twenty three, and uh, I would like to also do the the Silkway Mountain race next year. So next year I will do both races of uh, Nelson Tree. Yeah. Yeah, if you can handle, I mean, both those, and you've already done the Atlas, obviously you can handle it, but I guess what I'm saying is by the time Tour Divide comes around, uh, you'll probably have developed some more skills with like the mountain biking aspect and the skills portion. I hope so. so. Yeah, oh yeah, you're going to kill it. Uh, so coming from outside of the United States, was this your first time in the States or just your first time racing in the first time? Uh, what What surprised you? Good or bad about about you know riding racing being in America. Uh, what surprised me, uh, it was something what I was expecting, but because I heard that uh, people in the states are still smiling, still in a good good, good mood, very kind and uh, open, and this was actually what I found there. Everyone was smiling at me. Everyone was interesting uh, of me. Everyone asked what I'm doing there with this bike. And when I said that I'm riding a race across America, everyone was like really interested, uh, talked to me. It was great. I had a great time with people just just to talk to them, you know. And also, I was surprised how how, how they care about, you know, because it happened to me that they always like, Tried, they tried to say to me, okay, there is a storm coming or something, you know, be in a safe or be careful about traffic. There is a peak time now, etc. I was like, it never happened to me in Czech Republic, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's good to hear. Like what it. what is it like in uh, Czech Republic then? Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you do your own thing. No yes. one's interested. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds well, like it. So Americans are just nosy, is what you what you said. Yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> but at least they're polite about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was also because in the first half, I would say I met like one cyclist per state, <laughs> which is in Czech Republic you will you will meet like four cyclists per one kilometer, <laughs> but in first half. I met really one cyclist per state. <laughs> I, yeah. And the first real cyclist I met in Omaha. You know, when I approached Omaha, I I, uh, I noticed that there was a cyclist. So I catch him. His name was Will. So uh, if I can uh, say hello to Will. So hello. Of course. Hey, Will. Hey, Will. <laughs> and it was great to meet real cyclists like, and so I talked to him and it was great. He told me a lot about Omaha and he also recommended me a nice uh, sandwich bar where I stopped for for recipe. 
And it was great to talk to some real cyclists. It was great. It was really great. And what about then, the... Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. And then uh, after Omaha, there were more and more cyclists on the way. And in Washington or Cincinnati, etc., there were already a lot of cyclists. But the first half, there was almost like no cyclists at all. Once per state. <laughs> One per state. Yeah, that's surprising, especially up in the mountains and everything. You think... Um... Yeah, I think you'd be out there riding your bike. That's where I'd want to be riding my bike. There was only one point uh, because we like hit the border of Yellowstone Park and uh, then we crossed Teton National Park. And there were actually also the road of uh, Tour Divide. And when I was there, they told me, are you racing Tour Divide? You are somehow slow, no? And I said, no, <laughs> not a race. <laughs> it's not Tour Divide. <laughs> I'm not the I'm actually leader of this race. <laughs> said, oh, but there were so many riders from from Tour Divide. Uh, uh, so yeah, but uh, I was there like 14 days after. Oh, that's because so funny. Tour Divide started 10th of June and we started 19th of June. Yeah. yeah. So looking back on it, um what are what are you proud of? What are what did you do well, and uh, and what did you maybe learn or something you could have done better? Uh, I'm proud of. Uh, I'm pretty proud about the time because, as I said, it was really difficult to keep the the to keep pushing when you are really alone in the front. And I knew that I had like three or four days, you know, advantage. So I could really stop for a day and I would be still, you know, still in a lead. So I'm proud that I kept um, kept pushing till the end. What I learned, uh, I learned that, uh, that the United States are actually very nice in terms of nature. You know, I saw all states, all the states on the way and it was... I was really surprised how how beautiful it was, especially the first half because I love mountains. So Wyoming, it was my 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 favorite state because there was also gravel parts in this. There started the gravel part because before that it was only only tarmac, but in Wyoming. I have that, to pause you real quick because on the last episode, uh -huh. my guest said that Wyoming was his least favorite state, and he was talking about on the Tour Divide. And I was like, don't worry, Wyoming, you know, other people love you. And so, see, there you go. Some people love Wyoming, just yeah, different Wyoming people. Yeah, Wyoming was great. But I think when when they crossed Wyoming, it was it was full of snow there, no? And he said, mos he said mosquitoes and sand. Yeah, and mosquitoes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This I forgot, actually, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in a hurry. Uh, in uh, in Wyoming because uh, I had to find uh, sleep in accommodation and I was really in a hurry and in this gravel section and I stopped for a minute to take a picture of my bike because there was nice dam or something with very nice light because it was just before the sunset and I stopped like for I don't know 30 seconds to take a picture and I was beaten by mosquitoes it was terrible it was really terrible, yeah. But actually, I had to spray against uh, insects 
with me so i just prayed myself and then it was better but be, without this i i wouldn't i wouldn't survive there <laughs> so in terms of mosquitoes yeah mosquitoes are my nemesis i i nothing outdoors really bothers me as much as mosquitoes i'd rather be around mountain lions and bears and lightning whatever but mosquitoes are just the worst they're just annoying yeah. i saw one grizzly and he was kind mosquitoes were well, much, much, much. <laughs> yeah, the, the bears are nice. It's the mosquitoes yeah. you got to watch out for. Yeah, that's exactly. funny. Well, thanks for coming on the uh, podcast, man. And uh, I enjoyed chatting with you. It's getting late where you are. I'm, I'm like getting into. It's like four, thir- almost four thirty here. So, just yeah, like here midday, thirty to midnight, or you know, something like that. But it's okay. I'm, <laughs> I told you I'm a night animal. I'm fine. <laughs> well, you're an endurance athlete. You're used to uh, going for a long time without sleep. So, you know, getting a few less hours one night's no big deal. But no, I, I enjoyed talking to you. Congratulations on on winning. Um, and, and also just putting this race on my radar. I'm wondering how many other people like aren't even that aware of it. And uh, you've... You sold me. Like, I'm not even kidding. I want to go. I want to go do it. I'm sold. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to. And I hope that uh, we really put this race into radar to other riders because really I would love to see next year much more riders in this race because this road is just beautiful and it's safe. You know, you don't have to be afraid of uh, the fact that there will be heavy traffic or such uh, or you will save, uh, you will feel unsafe. It's the road is great. It's well designed. I, I have to really say thank you to Nathan that he designed such a nice road. Also, I talk, I also talked to Mark and uh, the third rider uh, who finished uh, the this race, Mark uh, McConnell, uh, if I'm not wrong. And he told me that he actually raced a trans-American bike race when there were these two accidents with the with the car accident, uh, with the rider hit or even killed by a car. So I asked him, what do you think about trans-American bike race and bike non-stop US? And he said, bike non-stop US is amazing. The road is so nice, safe, etc." And I said, okay, that's exactly what I wanted to hear from you because you did the trans-american bike race and you can compare it and he said this road is amazing yeah no you've really uh showcased and made a great argument for the route just through telling your story and i think it's even more telling the fact that you do come from czech republic where like you said there's a lot more cyclists i'm guessing cycling infrastructure is better people are more aware of cyclists whereas you're coming to america and we don't we don't have that and so for you to come here and feel safe i think is even probably like an extra level of like endorsement you know yeah 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 definitely well thanks dude and congrats again uh yeah you can go to sleep now and and i was i'm so stoked to be there (laughs) you're stoked for what sorry I'm stoked that uh, I had the opportunity to be here with you in your podcast, Bike or Dead, because I love this podcast. I've been listening to this podcast for, for years already, so it's great. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I love I love getting a chance to talk to people. And uh, in my opinion, I think you, you know, like, I mean, you included uh, some of the most amazing endurance athletes on the planet. I mean, if you can push your body and your mind for 18 days 
you know, and, and you didn't have, I mean, you had a huge gap. And so you, you pushed yourself, like there wasn't even somebody there to, um, chase or to try to stay ahead of or anything like that. Like you had to just make a choice mentally that you were going to keep pushing yourself. And I think that's fucking badass. And so I just, I think it's cool to be able to talk to you, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Well, well, you'll get to hear yourself on the podcast soon. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope so. All right. Thanks, buddy. Have a good night. Okay. Bye. Thanks you very much. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, thanks to Alice for joining me all the way from the Czech Republic. And again, congrats on your big win here in America on your first race. How exciting. All right. Well, next week's episode is to be determined. I know who our next guest is going to be. Next up on the podcast, we're going to have Anna Jagger, who was the Women's Tour Divide winner for 2022. The only unknown here is I will be on a family vacation next week and will also be trying to put out this episode. So I'm not going to make any promises, but I'm going to do my best to get that episode out to y'all lovely people next week. But if I miss next week because I'm having too much fun on vacation, well, I'm sorry. And we'll be back on your podcast playlist the week after. All right. Well, last week I left y'all with a inspirational Bible verse about leave no trace principles. And uh, I think I'm going to start trying to include some quotes or inspirational thoughts at the end or even something funny. Who knows? But uh, we're going to mix it up a little bit and start adding these in towards the end of the episode just because I feel like it. And this week's quote that sat with me is by one of my favorite authors, Edward Abbey. And he says, wilderness is not a luxury, but a necessity of the human spirit. Short, sweet, and to the point. All right, everybody, until next week, thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to being back in your ears very soon. But until then, don't forget, Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination? Merely folklore. Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes.